When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on RootMetrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's film study with Tim McCusick. We're going to look back at week 9 as the Ravens lost to the Steelers 23-16. to Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh, but this was a tough one to take. And a really tough one going into the bye week. I mean, three losses in a row going into a bye week is going to be tough. It is. I mean, the Ravens need to get healthy, so the bye week's here at a good time for them from that perspective, although a week earlier might have been better. But uh, they need to get over some injuries, and if there is any hope to salvage the season with any sort of a playoff run, which is going to be very difficult, uh, they need to, it needs to start with a win against Cincinnati when they come back. All right, so we made it through Monday. So that means Harbaugh is okay for the bye week, correct? 
I mean, I know uh, it's going to be tough but with a lot of blame going on him and Flacco this week. Yeah, it's, it's a tremendous amount of blame going around and, and a lot of reactionary viewpoints. I mean, this is this is a this is a time for pronouncements. There's a lot of pronouncements out there. If you're if you're on Twitter, you got a front row seat for all of it when you get your tweet deck up. Um, it's just it's hard uh, you know, for people to accept what's going on and they and they, they want to basically burn down the whole thing and start over the people who are saying anything. It's also kind of like saying, is life fair? Uh, and asking asking that to a group of people, the people who don't think life's fair will will let you know in a very loud voice that it right. is not. Of course, and that's who, you, of course, you're hearing on Twitter. So uh, uh, we, I know there's a lot of frustration out there. Uh, I don't think that any move is imminent, given that the Ravens' playoff hopes are not completely dashed at this point. They're not in good shape. They're but close. They're, but they're, yes, but uh, but not completely dashed. I wouldn't. I would not give up on this season just yet. And you know this was a this was an important win against the Steelers to have. They didn't get it. It puts them in a very bad position in terms of divisional record, AFC record, a whole lot of tiebreakers with important teams like getting getting the tiebreaker against the Bengals is not going to be difficult. Getting a tiebreaker against the Chargers is going to be more difficult than it was before. So, uh, you know, those would be teams that they'd be in in that hunt for that last playoff spot with. Right, and and splitting uh, splitting the season with the Steelers is no big deal. We've done that many times. It's the fact that it's the third loss in a row, and the fact that this defense we were really high on early in the season, and now it's not even that they've come back down to earth. It's that they've gone from giving up no points in the second half to now just kind of not being able to stop the ball. Yeah, that's been very frustrating. Obviously, to to see the team not be able to get off the field uh, like they did, like against the Steelers, very much like against the Panthers, they've put together now nine straight quarters of pretty darn awful defensive football. Uh, you know, it's certainly not what the Ravens fans want. Giving up uh, what is it about eighty one points during that time? Let's see, right. thirty eight against the Panthers, twenty three be sixty one. I think it was seventeen to the Saints, so maybe it's seventy eight points, but. A lot of points for for the last nine quarters. Right, and I want to get to that uh, getting off the field struggles. But first, I want to talk Terrell Suggs. So we talked two weeks ago about how the TV cameras kept making a big deal and the announcers making a big deal about, look, there's this old guy and he's keeping his own out there on the field with all these young guys. Then this week, they didn't – Suggs seemed to make – some pressure early in the game and then by the end of the game he was on the sideline and the camera kept going to him on the sideline well it seems to be a big deal for whoever is covering the game when Terrell Suggs is on the sideline so I don't they're not apparently keeping track of how often he's playing when he's in the game I'm gonna get that stat for you just just in a minute but there was an interesting quote which came out of John Harbaugh today that said there's nothing wrong physically with Terrell Suggs and it was the question was asked, I think, in response to the fact that Suggs was not available for comment in the locker room after the game. And that's a little unusual. He's usually one of the vocal people, one of the leaders who will, will, will talk about things. And for him not to be available is just a little bit unusual and, and suspect. So the question was, is was some move made to reduce his playing time? And he had 45 snaps in this game, which is still... 60% roughly of the, of the total snaps in the game. Not, frankly, not what I would, not a bad total as far as I would think it is. He played a little less in the fourth quarter than he had played up till that point. So I guess you could point to that, but also, uh, you know, he, he didn't have a great game. He had one quarterback hit. He had one pressure. The quarterback hit that he got was 
after an ample time and space opportunity had already occurred. So it was a late QH. Um, the Ravens had three of those in the game, by the way, which was part of their pass rush issues. But I'm afraid that maybe Terrell has gotten word that he's going to get a little bit less playing time and that other players like Zedarius Smith, like Tim Williams, like Bowser are going to see more snaps. Yeah, and that's the that's kind of the picture I got today because that's kind of what he said with the whole nothing wrong with him. He said the, that Suggs played as much as the Ravens wanted him to play. So, oh. so that comment kind of stood out as, okay, um, you wanted the younger guys out there. Right. Well, I mean, this is an interesting game because they, they were without Tim Williams. He had an ankle injury for the game, so he didn't, he didn't even dress. And hopefully he'll be back. But, you know, they were very shorthanded at outside linebacker. Zadarius Smith was overused to a terrific extent in this game. He played 80% of the snaps, 79% actually. Um, and he uh, was used both inside and outside. So when you use a guy on the inside, you can't use him for 80% of the snaps. And since Zadarius has this dual role of outside linebacker and inside pass rusher on pass, passing downs, he can't, he can't approach 80% of the snaps. He should probably be playing more like 50 to 60% of the snaps. So it, I, the Ravens are suffering, and we'll get to that a little later, in terms of, of some injuries really thinning their available pass rushers. And that's going to, well, unfortunately, we're going to see some more, I think, of the fourth quarter pass rush not being as good as it could otherwise be if they were healthy. All right. Um, let's get into getting off the field because the defense could not get off the field yesterday. Um, no. A lot of third down conversions. Yeah, so they went 11 of 17 on third down. The the uh, the Steelers did third and fourth down combined. And yeah, I've got the plays listed out there on the website with time references, so I'd encourage you to go out there if you're really interested in looking at the film and whatnot. If you just want to hear a, a synopsis of it, we'll, we'll do it here. Um, one thing that really stood out in this game was how often the Steelers were able to run pick and rub routes against the Ravens. It's always kind of been a staple of the way Pittsburgh operates their offense. But more than more than any time I've ever seen, they ran these pick routes. They ran these rub routes to get people open, often uh, open and often off motion. So Connor's touchdown, for example, if you want to look at that play, uh, he motions to the right side, and Kenny Young tries to follow him from the other side of the field, and he's hustling after him. But the ball snapped, and Vance McDonald got between him and the spot he was supposed to cover. And he didn't know how to go around him. And McDonald was smart about him. He didn't, like, lay his body into him, which would have been a, an offensive pass interference foul. He kind of just shouldered him as he was moving by in the same direction. And that slowed him down tremendously. Connor was was wide open for the catch. But even when he caught the ball at the 10-yard line, because the field's compressed, you would figure the Ravens would be able to collapse and, and get him short of the goal line. Well, not so. They had five guys all running towards him, but they couldn't they couldn't uh, get to him before he reached the pylon. So, uh you know, that was just one example of the pick and rub routes. Most of the rest of the game, I'd say uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was the most significant in terms of uh, creating pick and rub opportunities for other receivers. Now, Smith-Schuster is their leading receiver in terms of uh, catches and in terms of yards. It's not Brown anymore. Brown is the most touchdowns. But Smith-Schuster not only caught big balls to convert third downs, he also created the pick and rub opportunities to get Switzer free uh, and you know, to get Brown free uh, that, that led to other first downs as well. So he's got a much bigger role in this offense as a, you know, a big receiver who can get in the way um, than, than I had previously realized. All right. Um, is that 
Is that the only problem? I mean, what no. else is going on? The Steelers just nothing worked. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, there's more going on. The, the uh, one of the things we we haven't talked about yet is the kind of some of the pass rush elements, but but the Ravens ran 15 blitzes in this game. Okay, and that's 15 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. And for new listeners, we're not talking about five plus man pass rushes, which a lot of other sources uh, would would define as a blitz. Mine is as blitz from off the line of scrimmage. So you can have more than one on one play, but each one is counted individually. So anyway, they had 15 such individual off the line of scrimmage blitzes in the game, but the last one of them occurred only on the third play of the second half. And what happened to that play? Tavon Young blitzed off the slot. The slot receiver he was opposite was Switzer. Switzer then became the hot read. Roethlisberger hit him immediately for a uh, for a first down conversion, if nine yards, whatever it was. But anyway, the point being that he had to, he Roethlisberger read, read the hot read, and the Ravens should have at that point realized that, and I guess they did, that they weren't getting it done with blitzes, and they had to try other methods of deception. Now it was interesting because on that play. The call was for the nose tackle, Michael Pierce, to drop into coverage, and he was actually in the zone where Switzer moved through to, to make his catch. So uh, there was another Raven closer when the catch was made, but part of that is because Michael Pierce isn't, doesn't have the agility to, to get into good position in the coverage in the secondary. It was a, it was a case where I did not agree with the, 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 the idea of dropping Pierce. I think even though he can't contribute maybe as much, you keep him at the line of scrimmage, try and let him get his hands up because a, a hot read like that is is going to mean a ball is probably going to be out quickly. And and their lineman can help you a lot. He can he can try and deflect that ball and and uh, and stop the completion that way. But uh, anyway, dropping him to coverage, I didn't think added much. Gotcha. Now we we got a lot of pass rush on Tennessee, and we all mm-hmm. knew it was it was too much and it wasn't no, the norm. But to go from that to like nothing now, is right. it, is it? Injuries? Is it the the strength of the team? What what do you think? Well, I mean, let's let's start by framing this up a little bit because they had nine quarterback hits against Tennessee, but they turned that into eleven sacks. And normally, most quarterback hits are uh, sorry, most sacks are quarterback hits. But they had a couple where they knocked the ball free of Mariota's hand once. And they drove him out of bounds. Those don't count as uh, quarterback hits, but they are sacks nonetheless. So they converted effectively 100% of their quarterback hits for sacks in that game. Since then, they've had 13 quarterback hits and only two sacks. And they're having a bunch of problems now with with their quarterback hits and their pressures coming late. And in fact, I made the point that three of their quarterback hits came late, including their one sack against the Steelers. So if you remember that last the last play where they, the, the Steelers' last offensive play when they got their sack when Ben just ran back to buy time ran back bought bought time and it was a lot of some a fair amount of time ran off the clock before that sack even occurred so uh anyway it was uh uh, you know not an ideal situation uh otherwise you know looking at what's wrong with the pass rush we could go through a laundry list of items so let's try and do a little bit of that here since I, i know people do want to know I honestly have a, have a feeling that the injuries to Willie Henry and Tim Williams are already kind of taking their tool, taking their toll because they are limiting the pool of situational pass rushers the Ravens have available. So what do I mean by that? So Willie Henry is a guy that the Ravens can count on to be fresh to be brought on on third down. 
without him, they're relying more on Brent Urban. Well, Brent Urban is is a pretty darn good pass rusher, or, or you know can contribute something to the pass rush from the inside. Let's put it that way. But since he's also a good run defender, the Ravens want him on the early downs, and Brent Urban is stretched to play those pass rush downs as well. And you know, Urban had played, been playing seventy five percent or so of the snaps earlier in the season. Uh, in this game, he played a fairly reasonable thirty nine snaps. So he wasn't tremendously overworked in this game, but it's still a case where uh, probably would do better with Henry and 25 snaps of so just pass rushing would be a, a, a more ideal situation. So that, that, that's hurting them. Tim Williams is hurting them for a different reason. Because they are a man short at outside linebacker, uh, that means that Darius Smith is forced into this dual role for more. So he's having to play more stand-up outside linebacker in addition to his specialized role as an inside pass rusher. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really just too many snaps for him. They're going to need to find out how to reduce his snap count going forward. All right. Um, ample time and space. We normally talk about this with Joe Flacco, but it's got to be a high number for Ben Roethlisberger yesterday. Yeah, so uh, Roethlisberger had, had 25 out of 49 ample time and space opportunities, but that doesn't really tell the whole story because he also had 12 times where the ball was out quickly, meaning there was no pressure event that was generated by the defense by the time the ball was released. But in my judgment, I couldn't be sure that the pocket was going to hold up for three seconds. I have to make a judgment at that point right. when the ball is out in less than three seconds to see if it would have held up for three. And it can be – it's it's usually fairly obvious. Everybody's blocked up cleanly. I, I, I call it for an ample time and space. But there were 12 of these where I didn't necessarily think that was the case, but the ball was out so quickly that, that there was nothing the Ravens could really do about it defensively. And the pressure that some of the pressure events they did get, of course, were late ones. And as I mentioned, the three quarterback hits in particular uh, coming coming after an ample time and space opportunities are far less valuable. All right. Uh, how about once the ball was passed, tracking down the receiver? Did the Ravens do a decent job with that? You know, I think that the, the secondary was reasonable at maintaining coverage. And if you look at the, the yards per play, it was 5.8 yards per play, your pass play. The, the Ravens allowed. That's certainly a number you can win with against Ben Roethlisberger or against a lot of quarterbacks for that matter. I mean, the average in the league is certainly higher than that. He didn't have any turnovers. That's going to that's gonna hurt your chances to get off the field. It's going to hurt your chances to, to uh, you know, to, to um, keep the, keep them from scoring points, even with a relatively low yard per pass number. But, but nonetheless, that you can work with that. The only guy who made a who made a bad mistake was was uh, obviously Carr on the outside versus Jesse James who gave up the 51 yard uh, play. Weddle somehow was caught out of position, and I'm not sure exactly how on the 22 yard throw that converted second and 20 for Joshua Dobbs. Now, for those who don't know, and I think they did mention it on air, Joshua Dobbs that was his first career pass. Right, they he, mentioned he, as he was running out yeah. there. <laughs> under, pr- right. under pressure yeah, yeah of course and he and it was it was he turned around it was a play action handoff had all the time in the world to to, to set up and then he threw the ball you know right over the middle of the field for a, for a completion where Weddle had his back turned to the play and I have not seen the all 22 yet to see just how that happened you see there's a reverse angle available in the broadcast where you can kind of see that Weddle has his back turned but you right. can't figure out exactly what happened and I, it's, it's it was a bad situation because it looked like Weddle would have probably been in position for a pick 
if he had been facing Dobbs on the play. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to see what that was. But I have, honestly I haven't had a chance to see the all twenty two yet, so I'll, uh, it'll it'll come out tonight, and uh, I want to take a look at it then. Yeah, that was uh, that seemed to be the death of this team. Once that happened, it was kind of tough to have any hope for the rest of the game. That that was a big one. Certainly, that you know, it was that twenty two yard pass. Then they had another play in between, and then they had the fifty one yard pass to Jesse James, which right. put him in in range right away to get the field goal to put him back up ten. So, uh, just obviously not a not a good series of events there for the Ravens. Right. So Weddle missed out on that interception, and th- that's kind of the story of this defense is. Past defense, they're doing well, but they're not getting the ball. Yeah, that's a really good point, Josh, because, I mean, they are fourth in the entire NFL, tied for fourth with 48 passes defense here through nine games. Uh, that Unfortunately, they have only five interceptions, which is 9.6 passes defense per interception, and that ratio is fifth worst in the entire NFL. So if you look at the Ravens, I mean, and, and, and who they are as a team and their DNA and their history and everything, they're a team that has lived off turnovers, particularly interceptions. In recent years, that's been a lot of the fuel for the defense. They, they've led the NFL interceptions the last two seasons. And you, know, you really hope that they'd be able to uh, convert more of those than even a league average team does. You know, so if the league average is one every 5.2, maybe the Ravens should be at one every four and a half or even a little better. And then that would have given the Ravens more than 10 interceptions this year. And, you know, we'd be probably in a different spot on the season. You know, at one point loss to the Saints, you might reverse that one. This game, maybe you reverse it or you or you get closer. Maybe the maybe the Browns game is a different outcome. But they, they just have not, you know, changed interceptions. I have not uh, converted the PDs into interceptions this year, and that's been very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. So every 9.6 which still seems higher than what it's been for the past three weeks. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head the top, the last interception that the Ravens got. Yeah, I don't think they've had one in the last three weeks. So I think right there you've you've probably got your answer. Right, so that 9.6 um, is way off. It, 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 yeah, I mean, it's it's infinite in the last three weeks. It's something to zero. Right, so. of course. Uh, yeah. um, all right, so what changes going forward? We get healthy, I assume. Yeah, I, I don't really know where the Ravens are health-wise. I mean, they, they had a positive comment about Tavon Young today, that he uh, his injury is nothing serious. Now, unfortunately, I've heard that before, so I don't know whether to believe it or not. Uh, it's a huge injury for this season. It's a huge injury for the future for Tavon Young if he gets hurt in year three and it imperils in any way his 2019 season because he'll really be he'll be playing for a contract in 2019 and the Ravens would probably really like to lock him up as a cornerstone player maybe after year three here if he had uh you know if they, if he was healthy anyway if they were you know secure about what was going on with him physically so hopefully he, he comes back and and there is really nothing serious and is able to play um, they have some players still on IR designated to return who can who can come back. And uh, Kennedy was apparently mentioned specifically by Harbaugh today uh, as being somebody who could come back in the secondary. There was an interesting comment made that Kenneth Dixon apparently has other reasons why he is not able to return or has not been cleared to return by the league. So we don't know what those are. Gotcha. We can suspect, based on what his past history is, that there might be you know, it might be something related to PEDs or it might be something related to other problems. 
but uh, but we don't know yet what the problem is. All right. Uh, but uh, but your other questions, you know, about about who is who's going to return from injury, and Ronnie Stanley is is still out. The Ravens need him back more than any other player on the entire roster, uh, in order of him being healthy. Uh, any sort of run that they would make, I think, hinges on Stanley not being seriously hurt for the rest of the year. So. Right. We've got Stanley and Hurst that have missed a bunch of time on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Hurst, Hurst would be a bad but perhaps serviceable replacement at left tackle. Um, you know, they also could use Hurst at left guard if they want to switch things up there. So they have, you know, they have needs for both of those guys certainly in order to them coming back. I think Orlando Brown, regardless of the um, of the other changes made, will stay at right tackle at this point. All right. Well, we'll get to that on uh, Wednesday's uh, episode sure. when we talk about the offense because we do want need to talk about Orlando Brown and how he's been playing. Um, all right, so we got all these young guys that all should be getting more playing time. Uh, the bye week is also notorious when you're a struggling team for coaching changes. You see anything That's, with that coming up? You know, I, I think the Ravens have been a very stable organization for their entire history because they haven't made a lot of in-season coaching changes. There have been coordinator changes made at midseason. Cam Cameron got the ax uh, during the year, most notably when the Ravens were uh, – we're having a good year in 2006, um, and I'm sorry, that, came, that was Jim Fossil. Cam Cameron got it uh, in 2012 and still got a Super Bowl ring. So uh, it, it does happen during the season. I think it, it's, it's possible we could see a, a change made. I don't think that we're really there yet. I think Wink is really just starting out, and although we've seen some cracks in the armor the last couple of weeks in terms of some things he's He's called, in particular, this, I didn't like that slot blitz with the nose tackle dropping against Roethlisberger. But uh, there are, I think there's a lot of good to go there, too. I think he's a player's coach, which makes things makes it easier for him to hold together the locker room. And as playing time has to change in order to uh, get a better sense of who these younger players are and try and figure out what the draft needs are for the, for the coming years— also, you know who the who the Ravens really have a chance to release. I mean, it, it, it might be worth getting Chuck Clark some time as a deep safety to figure out what your future is with with Weddle and perhaps even Jefferson as well. So uh, Weddle is a big cap savings next year, and I think you know, he's the kind of player who drives you to make uh, changes in the secondary. You've got Mosley on the team at least for now, and he he can certainly take the green dot helmet back if you if you want to put Chuck Clark. Uh, uh, back at free safety for part of this time. All right. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Again, it's getting your questions on Twitter with the hashtag film study mailbag. Uh, first one up is, Ken, why did the Ravens not take a timeout before the two-minute warning? I don't know how things were in the stands, but I know at home where I was watching the game, we were there were a lot of people yelling for the Ravens to call timeouts during the Steeler drive when they were just running time off the clock. Right. I, I, I understand. Um, there, there is value to, to calling a timeout there. Of course, saving those timeouts would have had a lot of value if the Ravens had been able to stop the uh, drive right there. Having three timeouts and, and driving the field with two minutes is a lot easier than driving the field with uh, you know, no timeouts in that situation. Uh, yes, they, they could have uh, uh, done it. I don't really blame them for that as a game management decision. Uh, I got to say, if, if you look at the various possible things that the that, that, that ways could have gone. That's not a big negative game management decision to me. 
Um, to me, one of the things that was getting the Ravens all through the fourth quarter was a lack of alacrity getting to the football, which they can only blame on themselves. Offensively, they had the ball, but they, they were not moving to the football quickly. And, you know, there's like eight minutes left, and they're down 10 or whatever the, the, the point of the game was. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, you, this has got to be your last huddle. You guys need to get to the line of scrimmage right. and, and, and get going. And they, they didn't do it, and it gives the Steelers time to get set and get prepared the other thing that was giving the Steelers time to get set and get prepared and get defensive substitutions made was when the Ravens would bring in a new package. So the Ravens, a, a very exciting offense this year in terms of bringing three and four guys onto the field at a time, oftentimes when Lamar Jackson comes in as well. And that creates a very different look that the opposing team then has a chance to react to. It's pretty clear in the coaching, offic- coaching and officials meeting before the game where each team kind of shows their secrets to the officials so they won't be surprised by them, that I would guess Tomlin asked the officials, please give us time to substitute defensively when they're put in their new packages. And that basically meant that whenever the Ravens did that, they wasted about eight or ten t- seconds of clock time with the with the umpire standing over the ball, making sure the, the, the ball didn't get snapped. And I'm, I'm just screaming at the field, you know, yelling for our, them to allow them allow the Ravens to run their offense and not be not be stalled by this. If, if that were Manning or Brady or Belichick on the other sideline, I don't think they've been held up in the same way. And we saw, unfortunately, firsthand that happened during the 2014 playoff game when the, when Belichick was playing all kinds of games with the eligible receiver and right. the Ravens weren't given time to substitute. So yeah. um, utter utter garbage, and, and I really dislike the way that's handled in, in different ways for different teams. All right, and we're going to get to those packages on Wednesday because we'll have to mm-hmm. talk about Lamar on Wednesday uh, with John Harbaugh also coming out yesterday or today and saying we'd like to use Lamar more. Yeah, so obviously the the you know he pointed at the Saints game and and their use of Taysom Hill and he had twenty four snaps or whatever. He's a little bit more. Right. He, he does a little bit more. He also went out as a wide receiver. Back. There you go. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Uh, we saw Lamar go out as wide receiver yesterday, and we'll talk about that on Wednesday as well. We'll talk about it on Wednesday. Let's keep going with the yeah, mailbag here. The mailbag. How can we close the hole in the middle of the defense? It seems that every team can find room behind our linebackers and in front of our safeties. Is it Weddle's limited range, or does the linebackers not get into their zone fast enough? Do we seem slow? So this is that third and, and medium passes that sure. they, they keep getting. Okay, well, first of all, those are very difficult to defend, and the, and the Steelers are extremely well schemed up in terms of their ability to to convert third and medium and short uh, you know they they use all these pick and rub routes they they do a lot of slants it's just very difficult to defend the way to defend it is with tall men at the line of scrimmage who can deflect that pass that's your best bet to do it otherwise you know these bigger receivers tend to body up on your slot corner and they're just they're just too big to get through tight ends same kind of problems you know any any kind of crossing routes that go from uh, from both directions you better get a very quick pass rush that's in the face of Roethlisberger or there's not going to be much ability to stop that either so it's just it is very difficult to defend now I I want to get back to what he really said about level two to level three so there um there are a couple tonics for this one is have a great playmaking safety on the back end so when the Ravens had Ed Reed it didn't really matter if the Ravens coverage behind the linebackers was perfect or not because Ed Reed was in the middle of the field. Tom Brady wore it on his armband, said, find 20 on every play. 
was what he had when he played the Ravens. But right. uh, that's, that's, that's Ed Reed. We're not going to no, have no. another Ed Reed in our defense, maybe not in my lifetime. Well, we, we won't have exactly Ed Reed, but we could have a great playmaking safety who has more speed and more ability to, to uh, make interceptions and make the make – the, the quarterback pay for overthrows in the middle of the field because that's what you really want to do is part of keeping people from trying to target your linebackers there. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Minion Hunter gets in with, did other teams take the Saints' plan to run long drives versus our defense and tire them out and copy it? Because that's what it looks like. Every I, team would right. love to do that against the Ravens if they could. Um, they're, the Steelers were particularly well suited to get into third and, and medium short situations and convert those as, as we've, for many of the reasons we've talked about the rub and pick routes and, and there are other scheme advantages on that down. So they, it was a very viable strategy for them. I think it's also a viable strategy for the Saints who also were willing to go for it on fourth down a fair amount when they came up short. Um, you know, those two teams are extremely well suited to do it. Why they were able, why the Panthers were able to do it so effectively, is another matter entirely. Right. And uh, and you know the other teams this year, generally speaking, had not had good success about well, on third down. The Ravens now have dropped to the fifth best on third down in the league with about thirty five percent conversions allowed. Uh, so they're not in at the lofty heights right. they were earlier in the season. But those are still probably inflated numbers based on the last three weeks. Yeah, the last three weeks, they're definitely worse than that. Yeah. Definitely worse, yeah. Yep. All right, um, probably not this season, Ken, but could move into a 4-3 instead of a 3-4 help us in this middle of the field? Yeah, and- that's a that's a great question. We hear it from time to time. People seem to love the 4-3 versus the, versus the 3-4. There are some things you get out of the 4-3 defense that help you with having two enormous defensive players on the on the field a lot and on uh, on early downs that help you in the run game help keep keep men off your middle linebacker from blocking your middle linebacker and get some freedom there a lot of the, the advantages of the 4-3 I don't really think comes from comes from the passing game itself I think we already play a four man front defensively on every passing down meaning every down where it's an obvious passing down so once you're in that position already, you're already running what effectively is is something similar to a four three. You have different personnel, admittedly, but you're you're that four man front with a dime. I like better than than you know four three personnel where you would keep one of your linebackers on the field as well anyway. Uh, so. I, I personally, I, I like the 3-4 better. There's another bigger organizational reason why I think the 3-4 is better is that edge rushers who can stand up and also play the run, which are the 4-3 guys, are much harder to find. And so to, to, to retain them, you're going to pay more, and then you're going to have to have guys who are alternates for that, or you have to have a plan to move to the 3-4 in season. And that's just not an easy thing to do. It's much easier to find 3-4 outside linebackers and have three big guys on the inside. It's just an easier scheme to run for, for dollar and uh, cap purposes. All right. Uh, now we get oh, – let's get negative, and let's look at, at this bye week. And Sean gets in with, I don't see us making the playoffs, so why wait until the end of the season to fire everyone? Well, I mean, some of it is stability and, and wanting to keep a good scheme in place. I mean, let's let's start with Wick Martindale, for example. If you want to find out what these young defensive players can do, you may as well have them play under the scheme they've already learned so far and work with that for the rest of the season. It's not like it's a bad scheme. It's it's done fairly well this season overall. They're, they're still the second lowest scoring defense in the entire NFL, after all. But 
you know, it's it's a case where they may want to give different players a chance to play as the season rolls out, particularly if they're considering what cap casualties they'll have next year. Now, uh, for the for the record here, I'm not there yet. I still want the Ravens to to give it a try, you know, try and win these next two games, certainly at home, and and hopefully, uh, you know, get themselves back into the playoff hunt, even if it's only a fringe chance. But I do realize that at some point, and maybe it's one more loss to Cincinnati, or maybe it's two more losses at some other point during the season, their chance is going to be greatly reduced. Right. And, and when, you, when that happens, particularly when they get the eighth loss, I don't think there's any reason at that point to, to not try out a lot of the young players on both sides of the ball to make plans for 2019. Yeah, and that brings up this follow-up question of uh, um, what should the Ravens prioritize moving forward? Who in this defense would you build around in a rebuild? Well, there's, there is actually quite a lot to build around in terms of the young players. I mean, there's a fair amount of young talent. Now, the problem is a lot of it is not young superstar talent. The one guy that I think they, they have to decide if he's a cornerstone player or not right now is Zadarius Smith. Uh, and other than that, they, they obviously need to figure out what's the appropriate number they want to pay Mosley and decide if they have another option that's better in terms of the draft, uh, in terms of, of going after that new, probably who will be their signal caller playing at that Mike Linebacker position uh, and decide on that. They have... You know Eric Weddle to decide on. They have to. They have one year of Weddle. It's not all that expensive for his fourth season. Uh, he might be worth it. He might not. If he's if he's not worth it, if you're moving on anyway, yeah, then then draft a, a safety, a free safety, and and figure out if he's the guy, or maybe try and figure out if Elliott is the guy, which unfortunately they can't do this season. Uh, Chuck Clark could be the guy, and then you can give him snaps the rest of this year. Uh, one of the things you have to be willing to to do if you're if you wanted to see if you got Weddle's replacement on the roster is give the green dot to somebody else though. So he's wearing it now, and it would have to go back to Mosley if you're trying to uh, judge if other players are are ready right. to go. Right, just so that you could get Weddle off the field. Gotcha. There you go. Um, all right, Ken. Well, that takes care of our defense. Hopefully, we don't have to talk about a game like this again on the defensive side of the ball. This yeah, is I do have one one more question. You just yeah, came in did I miss Minu- Minion Otter who asked, what's going on with Bam Bradley? And unfortunately, I don't know the answer to that anyway. I don't know where he is in terms of his rehab. Uh, Harbaugh did mention that there were some players that they could they could get going, and there are players who could come back after the bye. But Bradley was a PUP player, which means there's a limited window in which he can start practicing. So we'll know very soon if Bam Bradley's season is over or not. I think he has to start practicing, I believe, by week nine. Uh, might be week ten, but anyway, it's if he's if he's if he's not practicing after this week, it, it's it, it's very close to the season being over for him. Right, and there's been no talk at all about him, so we're probably right. leaning that way. Probably. All right, Ken. This is a bye week, which means we've got no game to preview on Sunday and get excited for. So, how why don't you fill in the listener on how our schedule is going to be upcoming? Okay, so we'll, we'll plan to do the offensive review this week. Uh, might do it tomorrow night, but the, but the podcast will be available either Wednesday or Thursday morning to your, or, or Tuesday or Wednesday night if, you, if yeah. you're in a hurry to get it. And then uh, uh, that'll be it for podcast this week. Next week we're going to do two roster breakdown podcasts, one for the offense, one for the defense. And we'll get into a lot of the questions I think we've just been talking about, about how do the Ravens uh, look at their roster entering 2019 uh, what do they have in terms of young talent? In terms of talent that that is at a different point, uh, you know, who do they 
who are still some decent lottery ticket players they have to to build their roster around or or to have on the roster even next year. So uh, it'll be some interesting things to talk about then. We're going to have some guests on, we think, next week to discuss that with us, some of the local uh, podcasters and writers. Uh, we, we, we're planning to invite, so uh, hopefully we'll have some good back-and-forth dialogue on that. It's certainly a very interesting topic for the rest of the season. Um, right. And that's uh, that's what we got planned so far. Go out to Russell Street, read the report, follow me at Film Study Ravens online on Twitter, and uh, love to hear from you during the day. I try and answer all the questions I can then. Yep. And uh, yeah, make sure to go to Russell Street Report for those breakdowns of times. We kind of went quickly through some of the uh, some of the plays, and that'll break it down a whole lot more. How about Birdland Sports? Hey, you got it right. Birdland Sports is about to get a new website any day now. That's going to make everything easier to find, including uh, this podcast. So keep on going on over to BirdlandSports.com. Soon we'll have a nice fancy new page for film study where you'll even be able to put in your uh, mailbag questions right there. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that was coming. That's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, so that'll be right on the side. Uh, hopefully by the end of this week, maybe as early as tomorrow. So keep checking out Birdland Sports. Lots of great podcasts up there. Brand new Section 336 out now to go along with this episode. So check that out. So, yep. All right, Ken. All right, Josh. Well, we'll talk soon. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.